Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Today, to celebrate Christmas, I'm going to read for you Nanny Piggins and the First Christmas. It's from the ninth book in the Nanny Piggins series, which is called The Nanny Piggins Guide to Conquering Christmas. So here we go. Chapter 5, Nanny Piggins and the First Christmas. It was the first day of the last week of school, and Nanny Piggins immediately knew something was wrong when she saw Samantha getting off the bus looking cheerful. It usually took Samantha 45 minutes and several slices of cake to let go of the anxieties caused by a day's worth of education. "'Why is your sister looking so happy?' Nanny Piggins asked Derek and Michael. "'Has the canteen been selling those ice blocks with the banned red food colouring in them again?' Last time she had one, she was hyperactive for a week and had a red tongue for a month. Now I don't begrudge anyone a treat-induced mania, but I'd be much more comfortable with her food-fueled joy if it was caused by a good old-fashioned ingredient, like sugar, rather than a modern man-made one like flavourings and illegally imported food colouring. Oh, it's got nothing to do with ice blocks, Derek assured his nanny. Go on, Michael urged Samantha. Tell Nanny Piggins your good news. I'm a shepherd, declared Samantha with a beaming smile. She's got a head injury, hasn't she, said Nanny Piggins knowingly. Was it a fall, or did she get in a fight in the canteen line while she was waiting for a contraband ice block? No, she really is a shepherd, said Derek. In the school nativity play, added Samantha, finally able to stop feeling giddy long enough to say something helpful. But you're a girl, protested Nanny Piggins. How can you be a shepherd? Everyone knows all shepherds are men, because no woman would be silly enough to stay up all night in a field full of sheep. No disrespect to sheep. I know they're lovely, sweet-tempered creatures, but they're also unimaginably stupid, and they do get their own poo stuck in their wool and do nothing about it. They're going to give me a fake beard to wear, explained Samantha. All the shepherds are girls. There aren't enough roles for girls otherwise. Your school astounds me, said Nanny Piggins. They are dogmatic about the ridiculous five-day-a-week attendance rules, and now, just because it's Christmas time, they actively encourage cross-dressing. Isn't it wonderful, exclaimed Samantha, as she literally skipped with delight. You're going to have to explain this to me, said Nanny Piggins. I am completely unable to fathom your sister's uncharacteristic ebullience. She was worried she was going to be asked to play the lead role, said Derek. You know, Mary. Who? asked Nanny Piggins. The mother of baby Jesus, explained Michael. Oh, her, said Nanny Piggins. Usually, Margaret Wallace plays her every year, said Derek. But Margaret Wallace has blonde curly hair and blue eyes, said Nanny Piggins, whereas Mary came from the Middle East, so she must have had brown eyes and hair. But Margaret is the prettiest girl in school, explained Michael. Mary always gets played by the prettiest girl in school. 
But this year, said Derek, Margaret Wallace got chickenpox and is covered in spots. Surely Nanny Anne wouldn't let a little thing like that stand between Margaret Wallace and the lead role in a play, said Nanny Piggins. Now, Nanny Anne was one of Nanny Piggins' many arch-rivals. In fact, if there had been a tear in the space-time continuum, causing Nanny Piggins to be exactly replicated in a reverse clone, someone who was opposite in every single way, then Nanny Anne is what you would get, which makes you wonder if that is how Nanny Anne was created. Margaret also broke her nose, added Michael. She got chicken pox and broke her nose, exclaimed Nanny Piggins. What terrible bad luck! Well, the chicken pox sort of caused the broken nose, explained Samantha. Nanny Ann put so much calamine lotion on her that she got some in her eye and couldn't see properly, so she walked into a doorknob. I don't blame her, said Nanny Piggins sympathetically. If Nanny Ann were my nanny, I'd walk into a doorknob too. She's still going to be in the play, said Derek. But surely the poor child should be at home lying down, protested Nanny Piggins. Nanny Ann insisted that the show must go on, explained Samantha. But what could she possibly play with such hideous facial impediments, asked Nanny Piggins. She's going to be the back end of the donkey, said Derek. Nanny Ann can't be happy with that, said Nanny Piggins. Who's playing the front end? I am, said Michael happily, because I've already had chicken pox. Good, said Nanny Piggins. Remind me to pack lots of chocolate inside the donkey suit for you to share with poor Margaret. One of Nanny Ann's great failings is her total lack of appreciation for the recuperative properties of dairy milk chocolate. So who are you playing, Derek? Derek blushed. Joseph, he admitted. The male lead, exclaimed Nanny Piggins. I think technically Baby Jesus is the male lead, corrected Michael. Yes, but it isn't a speaking part, said Nanny Piggins. Any part that is traditionally played by a plastic doll is not a good role for an actor. I've got three whole lines, said Derek proudly. Excellent, said Nanny Piggins. Show me the script and I'll punch them up for you. See if I can add some jokes and perhaps a touch of soft shoe dancing. I don't think you're allowed to punch up the script, said Samantha. It's from the Bible. St. Luke won't mind, Nanny Piggins assured her. I'll only make improvements. After all, it's been over 2,000 years. The dialogue could probably do with freshening up and perhaps a few contemporary political references. I don't think Headmaster Pimplestock will go along with that, warned Derek. Nanny Piggins sighed. I find there is no end to what Headmaster Pimplestock will agree to once I put him in a headlock, she said. So Nanny Piggins sat down to read the play. The school had been performing the exact same nativity production, with the exact same props and costumes for 30 years. This made things very easy for the staff, because by the time the children were old enough to play the talking parts, they had seen the play so many times that they knew all the lines by heart. But Nanny Piggins was not going to let a little thing like tradition sway her. This play is appalling, she denounced. Who wrote it? I think Headmaster Pimplestock did, said Derek. Typical, said Nanny Piggins. That man has less imagination than a fruit bat, a species that is pathologically unimaginative because of the excess of fruit in their diet. I know the dialogue is a little stilted, said Derek, but nativity plays are supposed to be simple. It's not the complete lack of wordplay, action sequences or fist fights that appalls me, said Nanny Piggins. It's that he got all the facts entirely wrong. Really? asked Samantha. I'm pretty sure he includes all the main plot points from the Bible. Aha! 
said Nanny Piggins. That's where he went wrong. How? asked Derek. There is a much more reliable account of what went on in the stable the night that baby Jesus was born, said Nanny Piggins. Really? asked Michael, beginning to get excited. He could sense a stunning revelation coming. Yes, the oral history of the Piggins family includes a first-hand account of that night, which has been passed down through generations from pig to pig declared Nanny Piggins. You see, my great-great-great-great times 98 greats grandmother, Judith Piggins, was in the stable that night. No way, exclaimed the children. She helped deliver the baby, said Nanny Piggins. You're pulling our legs, said Samantha. Well, you don't think Joseph delivered the baby, do you? asked Nanny Piggins. In these tricky situations, you always need a woman, or preferably a pig, to take charge. Tell us the story, Nanny Piggins, please, urged Michael, knowing that if Nanny Piggins said a Piggins was present at the first Christmas, events must have been much more exciting than the recorded history. All right, agreed Nanny Piggins, checking her watch. If you give me 45 minutes to whip up some baklava, you shouldn't tell stories without something sweet and sticky in your hand. And so, 45 minutes later, the children sat around Nanny Piggins on the couch, a tray of sticky, honey-flavoured pastry on each of their laps, ready to listen to her story. Long, long ago, began Nanny Piggins. Over 2,000 years ago, supplied Derek. Don't interrupt, snapped Nanny Piggins. The dates are neither here nor there. The shocking details of the first Christmas that I'm about to tell you are much more significant than a 2,000-year-old calendar system. Sorry, said Derek. That's quite all right, said Nanny Piggins. Where was I? Oh, yes. Long, long ago. She glared at Derek before continuing. My great times 98 grandmother, Judith Piggins, was minding her own business and having a lovely nap after a particularly delicious dinner of chocolate cake. I didn't know they had chocolate cake 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, said Samantha. Humans didn't, agreed Nanny Piggins, but pigs have always been way ahead of humans in the field of experimental cooking. The children nodded, encouraging her to continue. So Judith Piggins was sound asleep, snuggled up in the corner of a stable behind an inn when, continued Nanny Piggins, hang on, interrupted Derek, again with the interruptions, complained Nanny Piggins, rolling her eyes. I don't mean to be disrespectful, continued Derek. People who say that are always about to be very disrespectful, accused Nanny Piggins. In the Middle East, people don't eat bacon or pork, said Derek carefully. The subject was a very sensitive one to his nanny. The mere mention of the word bacon could send her into a shin-biting frenzy. That's true, agreed Nanny Piggins. They are a very civilised people. What's your point? Well, why would there be a pig in the stable then? asked Derek. Well, if they don't eat pork, where else would the pig be? asked Nanny Piggins. No, I mean, why would they even began Derek... You've already heard the story. You know there was no room in the inn, said Nanny Piggins. Yes, but continued Derek, she was hardly going to go and sleep in an open field with a sheep, like some sort of wild animal, was she? asked Nanny Piggins. Well, began Derek, but Samantha put her hand over his and whispered to her brother, Derek, we all want to hear Nanny Piggins' story. If you start trying to apply logic and rational thinking, we're never going to get through it, are we? Sorry, said Derek, realising that his sister was entirely right. Please continue. Judith Piggins was having a lovely dream about a world where fruit was soaked in so much brandy and cooked with so much fatty suet that it actually tasted good when she was rudely awoken by a great big pregnant lady sitting on her trotter, said Nanny Piggins. 
Oh, cried Unit Piggins, how dare you crush my trotter? And when my imagination hadn't finished inventing all the ingredients to go in the pudding I was dreaming about. Sorry, said the pregnant lady. It's just nice to sit down on something that isn't a donkey. Have you tried a chair? asked Unit Piggins. I'd love a chair, said the pregnant lady, but they won't let us in the inn. Really? asked Unit Piggins. That would be right. That innkeeper is a rotter. He wouldn't let me borrow his oven to make creme brulee, so I'm not surprised he doesn't let an eight-and-a-half-month pregnant woman inside his inn. He's probably worried you'll have a baby and keep him up half the night asking for boiling water and towels. Oh, I think my feet have swollen, said the pregnant lady. I'm not surprised, said Unit Piggins. That's the problem with travelling by donkey. There's no footrest. Do you mind if I have a little nap, asked the pregnant lady. Not there, exclaimed Unit Piggins. I keep my stash of sticky buns under that pile of hay. Come over here. There's a nice pile of hay that the cow hasn't got around to using as a toilet yet. Thanks, said the pregnant lady, before promptly falling asleep. Unit Piggins was just about to do the same when a man came into the barn. What is this? demanded Unit. Is this Bethlehem's hip new meeting place, or is this a stable? Sorry to disturb you, said the man politely. Is my wife all right? She's gone to sleep, said Unit Piggins. She was telling me some crazy story about you making her travel a long distance on a donkey. It's true, said the man. We've come all the way from Nazareth for the census. Are you out of your mind? She's eight and a half months pregnant, exclaimed Unit Piggins. She shouldn't be travelling anywhere, except perhaps to the nearest cake shop for some more sustenance. We had to, said Joseph. It's the law. You have to return to the place of your birth for the census. Yes, but it should be pretty easy to get around that, said Unit Piggins. DNA technology and fingerprinting haven't been invented yet. So long as you turn up with a woman at the census, they're never going to know whether she's your actual wife. That way you can let this poor pregnant woman stay at home with her feet up eating bonbons. Oh, I hadn't thought of that, admitted Joseph. It never ceases to amaze me that humans think they are the dominant species when they are so poor at lateral thinking, said Unit Piggins. And deceit, she added as an afterthought. Ah! interrupted Mary. What's wrong with you? asked Unit Piggins. I think the baby's coming, said Mary. I bet it's a boy, said Unit Piggins. Only a man could have such bad timing. What should I do? asked Joseph. Do you know how to bake a chocolate cake? asked Unit Piggins. No, admitted Joseph. That's a shame, said Unit. All this drama is making me peckish. Never mind, I'll put you in charge of holding Mary's hand and saying supportive things. Do you think you can handle that? I think so, said Joseph. Failed, declared Nanny Piggins. Until this baby is born, I want every sentence you say to be phrased in the most positive way possible. Do you think you can handle that? Um, said Joseph, racking his brain, trying to stop it panicking and focus. Of course, everything is going to be all right. Now kiss her and tell her she's beautiful, ordered Unit Piggins. Ah, wailed Mary as another contraction hit. Do you really think it'll help? asked Joseph. Just do as I say, demanded Unit Piggins. You look beautiful, lied Joseph, before giving Mary a kiss. Good work, keep it up, urged Unit. Don't worry, she'll be in too much pain to be able to tell you're lying. And so, two hours later, after much screaming, pushing and swearing like a sailor, from Unit Piggins, obviously Mary did not have a potty mouth, the baby was born. And they called him Baby Jesus, called out Samantha. Who is telling this story, demanded Nanny Piggins. If you're going to yell out all the good bits, where's the fun for me? Sorry, said Samantha. Please continue. And they called him Baby Jesus, said Nanny Piggins. 
Then Mary had a long nap, and Joseph sat with his head between his legs, waiting for the feeling of nausea to go away. Judith Pickens herself was just settling down to go to sleep after a long night of midwifery, when there was a knock at the door. Who could that be? Complained Judith before calling out through the door. If you're another expectant mother, go away. This is a stable, not a hospital. We animals need our sleep too, you know. Hey, parents. Yeah, you. Are you looking for a podcast your kids will really love? Well, we made one just for you and for us. As genuine, all-natural kids ourselves, we know what makes a fun and interesting podcast. So we decided to make it ourselves. Every show is packed with interviews, stories, and on-the-ground reporting. We have interviewed everyone from scientists to Grammy Award-winning musicians to NFL quarterbacks. Listen to Wild Interest wherever you get your podcasts. Yoo-hoo! Hello! Called a voice from outside. Judith Piggins instinctively knew that anyone who was silly enough to call out you-hoo at two o'clock in the morning was unlikely to go away just because you yelled at them too. So she got out of her makeshift bed of hay and went over to answer the door. This had better be good, she said as she swung open the door and was surprised to discover three shepherds standing there. What do you want? asked Judith Piggins. Glory to the newborn king, declared one of the shepherds. How dare you, said Judith Piggins. I am not a king. I am a lady. So if you're going to declare me royalty, I'd be a queen. No, the baby, said the shepherd. Unto you a child has been born, and he will be our new king, saviour of us all. How impertinent, declared Judith Piggins. I have not had a baby. And if I had had a baby, I certainly wouldn't be standing around talking to a bunch of shepherds. But the angel of the Lord came to us in the field, said the shepherd, and told us that the bright star would guide us to the stable where Christ our Saviour was born. Judith Piggins turned and looked up at the sky. She had to shield her eyes from the glare because an enormously bright star was shining directly above them. Let me get this straight, said Judith Piggins. An angel came to you in the field, told you a baby had been born and that you should go and visit it. That's right, said the shepherd. And this angel didn't mention anything about appropriate visiting hours or waiting a few hours while the mother got over a difficult labour, asked Judith Piggins. No, admitted the shepherd. The angel didn't say anything about not bringing your sheep to meet the newly born baby whose immune system hadn't fully developed yet and may be susceptible to goodness knows what sheep-born diseases, asked Judith Piggins. The shepherds looked down at the sheep they were carrying, which were undeniably dusty and slightly poo-ridden. Oops, said the shepherd. We didn't think of that. Judith Piggins sighed. (sighs) Don't worry. I don't blame you, but this angel should have known better. So can we see the baby? asked the shepherd. All right, conceded Judith Piggins. If you leave your sheep outside and wash your hands thoroughly first. So Judith Piggins led the shepherds in to see the baby. Mary was fast asleep on a bed of hay, and the baby was... Nowhere to be seen. Joseph, called Judith Piggins. Joseph looked up. He was still a bit green around the girls. Yes? Where's the baby? asked Judith Piggins. Oh, he fell asleep, said Joseph, so I lay him in the manger. You did what? accused Judith Piggins. What were you thinking? The animals eat out of the manger. Have you any idea how unhygienic that is? And not just for the baby, think about the poor animals. Would you eat off a dinner plate that someone had let a newborn baby sleep on? 
Um, said Joseph. Truth be told, after all he'd seen in the last few hours, he wasn't planning to eat anything again any time soon. Never mind, said Judith Piggins with a sigh. I suppose if I have a stern word with the cow and the donkey, I should be able to persuade them not to lick the baby for a few days. But really, didn't you read any of the baby books? So the shepherds visited the baby. They all agreed he was adorable. They counted his little toes, sniffed his lovely soft hair and said, and all the other things everyone does when they meet a newborn. Then they went out into the town and proudly boasted of seeing the baby that would one day be their king, to which everyone said, yeah, yeah, pull the other one. And so things returned to normal, or as normal as a stable with a donkey, a cow, a very glamorous pig, a newly married couple and a newborn baby can be. Until late one night, Judith Piggins was again awoken by a knock at the door. "'Ugh!' groaned Mary. She had just got the baby back to sleep. The last thing she wanted was for someone to come along and wake him up again. "'I'll get it,' said Judith Piggins, "'and they better have a jolly good reason for waking us up at such an antisocial hour, "'or they're going to get a short, sharp nip on the shins.' When Judith Piggins opened the door, she was startled to discover it wasn't the shepherds this time. It was three amazingly dressed kings.' She could tell from all the expensive gold-decorated robes they were wearing and the fact that they had camels with them that they were from some far distant, even more exotic land. "'What do you want?' asked Judith Piggins suspiciously. The stable was becoming very overcrowded. She didn't think they could fit in three kings and their camels as well. "'We three kings from Orient are,' said the first king. His grammar was a little strange because Aramaic wasn't his first language." "'Bearing gifts we travel so far,' said the second king. "'Moor and mountain, field and fountain, following yonder star,' added the third king. Judith Piggins looked up at the bright star overhead. "'That star again,' she muttered, "'causes nothing but trouble, although it does mean we can read at night without a reading light.' "'We come bearing gifts,' said the first king. Now this got Judith's attention. "'Really?' she said. "'Well, that's more like it. What did you bring? Chocolate cake?' No, I've brought gold, said the first king. I've brought frankincense, said the second king. And I've got myrrh, said the third king. None of you has children of your own, do you, said Judith Piggins, shaking her head sadly. It didn't occur to you that the kid might prefer a squeaky soft toy or a teething ring? Sorry, said the first king. That's all right, said Judith Piggins. I suppose it's the thought that counts. Judith Piggins showed the three wise men in. They gave their gifts, worshipped the baby, then spent a few awkward minutes trying to make small talk with the young parents, with whom the three royals had absolutely nothing in common. They were just about to leave when the third king piped up and said, "'Oh, by the way, when we came into town, we dropped by King Herod's place.' "'Really?' asked Joseph politely. "'It's a royal thing,' explained the king. "'When you're in town, you have to drop by the local king to say hello.' "'Oh,' said Mary.' "'Anywho,' said the third king, "'we did mention that we were coming to see a newborn king "'who would one day be king of us all.' "'And how did he take that?' asked Judith Piggins suspiciously. "'Very well,' said the second king. "'He said to give you his love, "'and he wants us to drop by on the way home "'to give him your postal address.' "'You nitwit!' accused Judith Piggins "'as she leapt to her trotters. "'This is King Herod you're talking about, "'and you've just told him a newborn king has been bought "'who will one day take over his job.' I hadn't thought about it that way, admitted the king. And Herod's not exactly a king renowned for turning up and giving newborns frilly booties, is he? Accused Judith Piggins. No, admitted the kings. He's better known for killing everybody who annoys him, isn't he? Accused Judith Piggins. Yes, conceded the second king. He killed my camel because he said it looked at him funnily. Right, said Judith Piggins. Everyone is packing up now. 
But it's the middle of the night, moaned Mary. Come on, said Judith. You're never going to get a good night's sleep here anyway, what with all the farm workers and foreign royalty who keep dropping by. You and Joseph better take Jesus and flee into the desert before Herod finds you. All right, agreed Joseph. And you three, said Judith Piggins, glaring at the three kings. You'd better go home the long way, via Damascus. Oh, complained the kings, not Damascus. You can't get a decent falafel ball in Damascus. That's enough of that, ordered Judith Piggins. You're the ones who dropped Mary and Joseph in it with Herod. You have to make up for it by sneaking out of town and going to the last place he'll ever look for you. All right, agreed the kings. And that, announced Nanny Piggins, is the story of the first Christmas. Jesus grew up to say a great deal of tremendously wise things about sharing food and being kind to children, and to try his hardest to save us all from our sins. With some of us, there's so much sinning, that is quite an undertaking. And it only came to be because he was lucky enough to have a Piggins act as midwife at his birth. Is that true? asked Michael. Whether it's true or not is not the question, said Nanny Piggins. You have to have faith. And I have faith that if one of my ancestors was in the stable that night, feeding the little baby crumbs of chocolate, it's the only rational explanation as to how a baby could flourish in such unhygienic circumstances. The End Thank you for listening to support this podcast just by a book by me, R.A. Spratt. There are plenty to choose from from across the Nanny Piggins, Friday Barnes and Pesky Kids series. And now there's the audiobook of The Adventures of Nanny Piggins as well. You can order them through your local bookstore or go to my website, rasprat.com, and click on the Book Depository banner. They have all my titles and free international shipping. Until next time, I hope you have a safe and happy holidays. Goodbye.